The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here. Lauren joining me as always. Game one of the NBA Finals is in the books. We are now technically three more wins away from crowning an NBA champion. Uh, Not even technically. We are three more wins away from crowning an NBA champion. The Denver Nuggets have taken game one, 104 to 93. I would say fairly comfortably. Um, There was a little bit of a scare. The Heat did put some sort of fear into them in that second half. But for the most part, it seemed like a very comfortable win for the Denver Nuggets. Lauren, just overall, based on, you know, the vibes going into this game, um, the crowd was awesome. Denver, I mean, a lot of people made it about the altitude, but I think another aspect of home court advantage for this team is just how loud Denver's crowd can get. Um, absolutely a really really fun game overall any 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 thoughts you want to start off with do you want to start with Denver first or do you want to start with with Miami's struggles which one do you want to go yeah I I want to start with Miami because Bam was really really special and and solid for them uh but the shooting it it wasn't just poor shooting it was almost like there was just an overall lack of aggression when it came to the open shots, the open threes, yeah. and or even just the mid-range, some of the mid-range pull-ups. Two pull free throws, that they by will... the way. Two attempted yeah. free throws. Oh, yeah. Lowest ever. Yeah, when, honestly, when they said that, I was like, is that true? Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, how can that be? How can that be? And so there was, there was, there were a lot of things that I felt were uncharacteristic on the offensive end. Um, and so that I felt like, was a bit of an anomaly when we're talking about the Miami Heat. Heat and might be when we're looking back on this series, yeah. especially uh, in comparison to how they've performed the rest of the playoffs. So I'm kind of keeping that in the back of my mind, expecting them to to come out more aggressive, but also knock down more of these open shots and and not have to come back and make a run in the second half to 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 be in it in the final you know five minutes yeah. six minutes so it's interesting don't... you say that actually real quick yeah. because the heat have made it a habit throughout these playoffs to come back from large deficits especially right. in the fourth quarter that bucks the, those two bucks games come to mind immediately but they did it in the celtic series as well mm-hmm. they have this knack of kind of keeping it on the staying gas course yes yeah, staying yeah. the course making sure that they're close and then in the fourth quarter They'll figure out a way to, you know, kind of attack at that point, be more aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. The two free throw thing is weird. It's like you have to actively try to not be aggressive in order to take mm-hmm. two free throws in a game. I mean, you right. could throw yourself at the basket and get more than two free throws a game. So to your point, that aggression is absolutely something that you have to watch for going going forward throughout the rest of these finals. Um, you mentioned the shooting which I think was the deciding factor here for Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, uh, for, for Miami, I should say, they were 13 of 39. They shot 33% from the field. They've obviously been way better than that in these playoffs. Um, Gabe Vincent was great. Kyle Lowry hit some good shots in that fourth quarter. But for the most part, Max Struess, 0 of 9 mm-hmm. from 3. 
Duncan Robinson, that one hurts. of five. Caleb Martin. Caleb, Caleb Martin. He was one of seven mm-hmm. from the field in general and and finished the game with three points. It just felt like the guys, you know, everybody has made it a lot about these undrafted guys. And, and yeah, at this point, it's not just about, oh, this is a feel-good story. They are asked to compete. They are mm-hmm. – this is a huge aspect of what Miami's offense looks like. It's how can they get this the, the shot-making from this rotation of, you know, floor spacers, guys who can put the ball on the floor – between a Martin, between a Struess, even Vincent, who was good today. But you, mm-hmm. you need to yeah. be able to get those guys to to finish their shots. And I just – they got good looks. I thought in the first they half – They were good looks. And, and even in the second half, there were some pretty good shots. And I guess that's the silver lining for Miami, right? It's like, hey, we lost by 11 points, and our guys didn't shoot well at all. If, if anything – you know, Caleb Martin, Caleb Martin, who was supposed to be, you know, Eastern Conference Finals MVP to some, um, <laughs> he, he didn't yeah. show up in this game. And I, I think the 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 fact that some of these bench contributions didn't pan out in game one uh, mm-hmm. was sort of the knife in the heart early in this game. You could tell from the beginning that yeah. Miami was going to have to come back from a deficit in order to do this. And get some mm-hmm. of these miraculous performances from some of these guys, and it just it just didn't happen. Yeah, and 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 not to overlook Haywood Highsmith's performance because he did have a solid game. But like you yeah. mentioned early on in the game, when I, I mean they they weren't just missing these threes. I remember there was a Duncan Robinson one that was was pretty far off, and um, I just was like, it, it, it just was, seems like there. Do you think it was the altitude? That's what I'm like. I'm waiting for it to be like tomorrow. Was it the altitude? Was it the short turnaround and Denver having all this rest? And I just am like, we just got to move on to game two. We can't, we can't wait. Well, have you, I haven't, but have you ever been to Denver? I'm actually, yes, I have. So tell me, have have you tried to jog there? Is there some kind of. Oh God. I mean, I've hiked there, but I haven't like, I I wasn't like anything crazy. And like, don't get me wrong. It was like, it was tiring, yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure. I'm not Jimmy Butler out there <laughs> with my physique. And so I'm like sitting out there doing like this leisurely hike. And then I'm like, this is just like any other hike. So I, I can't sit there and speak to the altitude being like so uh, right. intense. But, okay. but you know what? I'm not going to lie. Maybe it was just, you know, the fact that they had really shown off the altitude. They showed like the posters. They did the warning yeah. sign and all that stuff. And maybe maybe it was that. But you know what, Lauren? In the first quarter, I'm watching Jimmy Butler, and you can see his chest just rising up and down. And <laughs> I'm true. like, man, you know what? He does look a little bit more tired than he would in game one. Of yeah. The- it's the NBA I mean, finals, I don't doubt. You know, but- I will say I don't doubt that the altitude comes into play because, I mean, I just – it. It has to. There's been enough people. I I think it does. There have been enough people that like you're running back and forth well, over and over right. again. You're right. Yeah. There has to be some sort of Everybody says impact. it is, by the way. A- any former player you ask, any current player you ask, they say it does affect them. But I also wonder if it's some kind of placebo effect. Like, yes, interesting. it does. But maybe the fact that you think it does is also impacting, you know, yeah. your mental. I'm not sure. I don't know. 
There has to be a science behind this. There should be smarter people than us talking about the (laughs) altitude of Denver, Colorado. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, it is playoff time. Actually, no, it is finals time in in the NBA, in the NHL. Get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite team matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Um, the Nuggets played very, very responsibly throughout this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it was it was about as perfect of a game you could have from that team. They had five guys in double digits points-wise. Nikola Jokic, another triple-double. Jamal Murray was carving up the heat with precision at the point of attack. The two-man game. Uh, I've had this debate online. I've talked about it before. I would love to get your opinion on it. But mm-hmm. I think in general, the two-man game between Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray is maybe the first or second most unstoppable play in basketball. There is the Draymond Steph two-man game, which is right up mm-hmm. there with it. I think that's very, very hard to beat. You could argue, you know, like the James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll. There was for a while the Luka Doncic and... I want to say it was Dwight Powell for a couple of years, but that's not, yeah, you know, but yeah, <laughs> not, not the same level when it comes to what, how many options that two man game opens up because you don't know which way they're going to hit you. The craziest part mm-hmm. about this is that Nikola Jokic can be the ball handler in a pick and roll. He can be the dribble handoff guy. And then on the other side, Jamal Murray can be your ball handler. He can be your dribble handoff guy. And and, and Jokic mm-hmm. is so willing. Jokic is so willing to be an off-ball mover, a guy who can move without the ball, that it just creates this sense of we are in this together. I think that's what oh, yeah. Jokic does more than anything with his passing, with his playmaking, is that he can go ahead and open things up for other guys. And also... Just be unselfish. That unselfishness spreads. It permeates through the rest of this Nuggets Mm -hmm. team. And now everybody else is willing to be a mover off the ball. Now everybody else is willing to be a mover on the ball. So I think think that's a really, really big aspect to to all of this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you think about what the way they came out and you have Aaron Gordon kind of going on this or just – coming right out of the gate aggressive. Mm -hmm. And then you have Bruce Brown kind of finding his his – stride and and hit and going through yeah. this stretch of just the floater after floater three over bam like right in his face and and that all comes from what how how Jokic in the two-man game with Jamal Murray opens up their offense and allows these other guys to step up and kind of you know maximize on the dives maximize on the open threes the catch and shoot threes or, or getting your own shot because you're now in these playing off of these advantage situations yeah. and so um, I mean, it, there's a it's it says a lot about the guys that they built around those two, but it starts with them and the fact that they're both unselfish and they're both versatile in terms of what role they can play in that two man pick and roll game, pick and pop game is huge. And so um, there is one thing that I always, always struggle with with Jokic and I wish it's it's I wish he would hesitate less on the three-point shot I genuinely am like I am always there are so many times when I'm like he's gonna shoot it this time he's actually going to shoot it and then he he doesn't and he always gets the foul call it's like he goes right in the lane he gets the two free throws sometimes he gets the and one but there are so many times where I'm like man just shoot that three 
But you know, what do I know? He's the Joker, and I'm me. But <laughs> I, I, I do wish that he would a lot be a little of, bit more aggressive. A with lot that of self-deprecation on this podcast today. First, you said you are not the type of athlete as Jimmy Butler is when you're going hiking, and then now you're saying you're not comparable to Nikola Jokic. I mean, I can climb a mountain. I just can't do it like Jimmy Butler. I can't do it like <laughs> Jimmy Butler in, in Denver. But hey, man, I will climb that mountain all day long. Damn right. Damn right. Damn um, right. Yeah, look, I, as far as the the Nuggets and and what they've done, I think it just it was it was what we expected. This Nuggets yeah, team, it felt very as expected. Yeah, it surgically carved up Miami's defense. Miami tried a lot of things. They went to a zone for a little bit without Jokic. They tried to do some switching. They threw in some drop and and maybe even some like they they threw different coverages in the pick and roll in general. They tried multiple different ways to just make things a little bit uncomfortable on mm-hmm. the nuggets and look 104 points for the nuggets is pretty good from den <laughs> for miami's deep honestly from for miami's mm-hmm. defense i think you you say hey we we let these guys who are unbelievably offense uh, offensively i mean what they averaged over 113 points per game or points per 100 possessions in the in the regular season we limited them to 104 points Mm-hmm. I I think that's a win for Miami's defense. The other side of it is Miami really couldn't get anything going offensively. We mentioned the Caleb Martin and you know the the kind of the other guys here, um, but I also thought the the Nuggets did a really good job on Jimmy Butler. They made it hard on him uh, getting downhill. They kind of walled him off from getting to the spots that he wants to. You know, mm-hmm. Jimmy will try to. Jimmy will do like the pump fake on the perimeter. No one's going to bite that. Oh, but yeah. Then I'm going to strong arm you into the position that I want to turn around, pivot. Let's see if you jump. And then I'm going to force these free throws. Right. And that didn't happen. I, we mentioned the free throw thing earlier, but they just, in general, the nuggets did a really good job of being patient defensively, not jumping on these pump mm-hmm. fakes, not giving these guys free buckets at the free throw line. And I think, I mean, credit to Denver's defense. Yeah. Um, what Miami has to do moving forward, other than hitting their shots, other than, you know, not being 13 from 39 from, from behind the arc, I think a lot of it has to do with how are you going to get Bam involved earlier? And then mm-hmm. on top of that, how are you going to get Bam to create for others? Because that's the other side of Bam. Bam was a scorer tonight. He 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 actually scored 26 points. He had 13, you know, rebounds, five assists. He did pretty much everything you'd wanted to. He took advantage of the drop defense that Denver was playing throughout the game. I think Bam did what he needed to do throughout this game. If there was like mm-hmm. an objective category for what Bam was supposed to accomplish tonight, he did those things. Yeah. I do think they have to set him up in ways that he can get other guys involved. Bam mm-hmm. is a lot like Jokic in the sense that you know, above the break at the top of the arc, he can create for others. The dribble handoffs that he does with a guy like Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, they tried those things, but I don't think they went to him enough. Um, And I think that that kind of caused some of the troubles that they had um, offensively. The other side is, I, I wrote this in my preview, but I really think that they need to start using Jimmy Butler as a screener more. They need to make it so that yeah. he can be off ball. He can be used as a cutter. And maybe that way his gravity um, mm-hmm. is something that they can they can use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just to get some more downhill action. Just to get yeah. Bam involved more. Get the other rotation guys involved as well. Uh, I think that's the way to go for Miami. What do you think they got to do in game two to, to potentially tie this up? Yeah, I think kind of 
getting Bam more involved in his playmaking, I think, is 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 definitely a key. I'm interested to see how because I mean, there's there's momentum of a potential Tyler Hero return on Sunday, so I'm curious to see mm. how their offense shifts. If obviously you're gonna plan and hope that your shooters are on, but in terms of Bam playmaking and using Jimmy a little bit off ball, where does Tyler Hero fit into that? Do you feel like with Bam being as effective as he was tonight, that him being a scorer, more of a scorer is the way to go? Or do you feel like we need that playmaking to come out of him in order to be successful in this series? And then what does that mean for Jimmy Butler and his scoring? Is Is that a net positive overall? Or, or what does that look like? And so I'm really curious to see what adjustments are made because as good as Bam was tonight, they didn't get the job done as a team. And so you do need to make the adjustments for that. Um, and so I'm curious to see how, how much, how significant the adjustments are, or if it's really a matter of, oh, we're getting Tyler Hero back, or, you know, we're expecting more out of our shooters, out of our Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, Duncan Robinson, those guys. That's kind of where I'm, I'm curious to see where, the kind of split ends yeah. up being overall it just feels as expected um mm-hmm. and and i i hate to feel that way after game one of an nba finals i no. want to come on here and say hey we we might be in for a different series than both of us predicted mm-hmm. and i just don't see that i think there are a lot of things that have to go right and go in miami's way in order for them to have a chance to win a game and mm-hmm. then two games and then potentially this series. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not hitting your shots, if you're not getting aggressive, if the heat aren't getting to the free throw line, uh, if they're not able to get in transition also, that's another aspect of this, then they're going to struggle. They're, they're, they're just, they're not going to have that great of an opportunity to, to do what they have to. I mean, Denver dominated them in the paint. They also dominated them in transition. Miami scored nine transition points. Or sorry, Miami scored four transition points. Denver scored nine transition points tonight. So if you're not going to get your fast break game going and the half-court offense is so reliant on your secondary players making their shots, you're in for trouble. Yeah, that's not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has been this far. Like, that maybe sustainable is the wrong word. But, like, to expect to get the job done in the NBA Finals against an incredibly consistent and dominant team in the Denver Nuggets, that's a lot to expect from not Jimmy Butler and not Bam Adebayo. So, um, we'll see. We'll see what they do. It's just a lot of pressure on those type of guys, right? I think when you look at Denver and the way they run their offense, and obviously these are two completely different types of teams, but – Denver just has so many options. This team, like we mentioned at the beginning, yeah, okay, so let's say you find a way to stop the two-man game between Jokic and Murray. Okay, mm-hmm. if that doesn't work, they can uh, kind of devolve into a split action with Porter and Gorner, uh, Gorner, Porter and Gordon um, mm-hmm. on the opposite side, and then Jokic can kind of make a pass to whichever one pops open. Yep. Well, okay, uh, KCP can kind of pop out into the front, maybe a little bit of a shake action to get him open and coming off the, uh, like uh, above the break a little bit so that he could get a three point shot. Mm -hmm. I think there's just so many options with what they can do. And they run through these options fluidly from one thing to another in one possession, in one possession, you'll see all of this. And it's because of Nikola Jokic's brilliance. I mean, he had another triple double, uh, tonight. I think it was his ninth of the playoffs, his first of the NBA finals, obviously. 
And it's just the precision that he has with the decision-making, with what he does, that makes it so untenable to figure out how you're going to be able to guard them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I love it, man. I really, really yeah. love Denver Nuggets basketball. And I'm glad that it's being put on a big stage, right? Oh, yeah. The way that they share the ball, it's very reminiscent of early Warriors days, of the Spurs basketball with the 2014 beautiful game. Um, maybe a less successful version is the Utah Jazz. You know, the Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz, they moved the ball incredibly well. The the Phoenix Suns in 2021, they when they were, you know, maybe a little bit more of a Cinderella story, they were sharing the ball very, very well. I just love when teams do that. When teams play unselfishly, it makes for such beautiful basketball. Mm -hmm. Uh, We deal with two teams. We follow (laughs) and cover two teams that do not play unselfish (laughs) basketball. Uh, If anything, there is some selfishness. You know, Mm -hmm. Messiah Jiri said it himself, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just saying, look, you can look at what Denver does successfully, and a lot of it starts because they're so willing to move off of the ball, to cut hard, to play as a team, to pass, to think of different options, to really uh, uh, some of their parts versus just the one, the individual. Right. Um, the other, the other factor to this is that Denver is so big. Like Denver <laughs> is massive compared mm-hmm. to the Miami Heat. Nikola Jokic is obviously seven feet tall, but Michael Porter Jr. is a six foot ten Clay Thompson. He has <laughs> three inches, four inches on Clay. But he is able to shoot. He's able to rise up over defenders. It's hard to guard a guy who has that type of length. And when he's he's spreading the floor for you, it's impossible. The great thing about this, Lauren, is that they also have a great off-ball cutter in Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. So and and he's six nine, six ten as well. So your front court is a seven footer, a six foot ten guy, and then another six foot ten guy. And the greatest thing about that is that they all do different things. Jokic is mm-hmm. obviously the playmaker, the guy who can be your ball handler. He can score for you as well in multiple different ways. He's everything, right? Jokic is everything. But on the other side, you have Michael Porter Jr. who can spread the floor for you. He's gotten better at putting the ball on the floor. He's a pretty good weak side defender. Aaron Gordon is your primary ball defender. He can mm-hmm. guard guys. He can be the guy who guards Jimmy Butler on a possession. And then on the other side, he's a willing mover. He's athletic. He can get to the rim. Having different skill sets is the way to go. Not, yeah. not guy. Yes, all these guys have similar heights, right? <laughs> but all of these guys can do different things. Right. That is where the lapse between, let's say, a Toronto Raptors, where it's like, hey, we're all gonna get, we're gonna get every guy to be six foot nine, okay? But you're also <laughs> gonna get every guy to do the exact same thing, mm-hmm. and that's where you spell trouble. The Denver Nuggets are the complete opposite of that. They have right. floor. They have a guy who can be your floor spacer. They have a guy who can be your athlete. They have a guy who can, you know, be that all-encompassing playmaker. And because of that, that's why they're unstoppable. And I'm sorry, 100%. I went on a little bit of a rant, but my no, God, no, to get that off my chest. yeah, no. I mean, it's it's so key to what they are as as a group. And on top of that, when you have that kind of size and versatility, it helps when all three of those guys can also rebound the basketball. Because I think Absolutely. so many people are like, oh, Jokic, the playmaking, the passing, one of the greatest passing big men ever. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Like, yeah, he can he can rise up, he can shoot, but but if you don't watch the Denver Nuggets, you don't 
you miss out on the rebounding. You kind of are just like, oh, Jokic is big. He's going to get rebounds. Aaron Gordon, he's defensive-minded. He's going to get rebounds. But the three of those guys together and the presence that they have, it can help kind of counter and mitigate a Bam Adebayo and how dominant he can be in the paint. Um, And so I think that that's a really big factor for the Denver Nuggets and an underrated one when it comes to taking into consideration how dominant Bam is and can be. kind of moving forward as we go through the rest of the series. I'm wondering if that is an adjustment that we see uh, maybe get. I mean, we saw Cody Zeller a lot tonight, and and I'm wondering if we see maybe another 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 big get pulled out. Maybe more, they just try to go bigger, or maybe they try to go a different direction than Zeller. I'm curious to see what that looks like moving forward. So they had uh, the Nuggets, interestingly, had three guys who played 40-plus minutes, and that was Porter, Jokic, and Murray. Um, but then they also had an eight guy rotation total. And they've been playing a tight rotation. Like they haven't tried Thomas Bryant. They haven't tried Conchar, DeAndre Jordan, or Reggie Jackson a ton in these mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, but I wonder with the two days in between, if they start to throw out some other guys in the rotation, it's more than enough time to get re- well rested. I think it is. And they're used to this. They're young guys. They can play. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see if we do see some of those other guys at yeah. some point. Yeah. The other side of this is like, the Heat played a pretty long and and like depthy rotation. They played, let's see, I think they played ten guys. Wow. If we're not counting the two guys who finished at the end and Nikola Jovic and Omer Yurtsevin, you know, thirty seconds in, but they they were searching for options there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we see maybe a lineup change immediately in game two. Sometimes you'll see coaches, you know, take their time, wait after game two, and wait till like they get back on their home court to make that adjustment. But I mm-hmm. wonder if Spo makes that adjustment in a lineup change, you know, tomorrow for for Sunday. Let's say, yeah. I, I I don't want to say they they do it immediately, but obviously with with the Tyler Hero thing, now you start to think, okay, how are we going to adopt and incorporate Tyler into this thing because he can be important for you as well. Do they start Haywood Highsmith? Do they maybe? shift and and add Kyle Lowry to the starting lineup who played well. I I don't know. These are answers that they're, you know, questions that they're going to have to answer. And I'm very curious to see what happens uh, in the post-game press conference. I'm probably going to listen to that afterwards just to see if we've seen any hints on what the Heat might do. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other side, okay, finals, outside of the NBA finals, there is some housekeeping that we got to do. Adam Silver had a press conference before game one of the NBA finals. And I think the the major talking point here is what he said about John Morant. According to Tim McMahon, he said, uh, we uncovered a fair amount of additional information. We're, we probably could have brought it to a head now, but we've made a decision that it would be unfair to these players and these teams to announce the decision in the middle of the series. He also went on to say that um, suspending him for a very long time probably wouldn't be the right way to do this. And that, Jaw has to look at his inner circle and you know his team and people around him and be in, just essentially get better guidance. Uh, very interesting, very mysterious mm-hmm. comments made because I mean I think the omnity I, I I don't know if that's the right word but the uh, um the ominous ominous, ominous yeah. <laughs> nature mm-hmm. of of the way that he said that obviously is going to make people speculate more and more about what the actual repercussions will be for jaw but the way he phrased it makes me feel like it's gonna be a lengthy suspension what do you think about that like do you think do you think that's fair do you think the fact that it might be 
you know, 50 games and yet <laughs> Miles Bridges got 20 games for oh, something don't. that, oh, you know? Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> the Miles Bridges, uh, there are several, I mean, I'm not even going to necessarily go down that whole list, but there are multiple situations yeah. in the league going on right now, similar to Miles Bridges' situation, but to lesser quote unquote, you know, impressive players or, or star yeah. stardom like players um, oh, that just, ca- yeah. that just has gotten swept under the rug and they're, they're still playing, they're still getting praised. And a lot of people don't even like know about it because they were just blips in the news cycle. And that yeah. I have a very big problem with, but that's the reality in today's NBA. And so as far as Jaws situation, because he is a face of the league and and represents brands, I think the NBA has no choice but to really handle it with such sensitivity and care. And so it's one of those things that I really am waiting to see what gets said about it, what comes out, and what do mm-hmm. they think is the right path forward. And and I couldn't possibly, you know, know or, or 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 think what the right thing to do is, what the right you know punishment or suspension is, if I don't know what it is or haven't heard what it is. And even then, I think it still might be so complex and complicated. Um, but I'm very curious as to what's going to come out because, like you mentioned, like the phrasing and the tone of all of it is very um it doesn't make it sound good it doesn't make it sound like oh well there was we we found some information and it wasn't maybe it was it just sounds bad and so i'm curious to see where that's going to go and how they you know i don't want to say who they put the blame on or anything like that but i'm curious how they handle it and if they try and use this um to maybe handle situations differently moving forward or kind of what what it ends up being. I think yeah. it's a very unique and complex situation. I agree with you. Um, and I think I think this also sets a precedent for future instances. So I think the league is trying to handle this as delicately as possible yeah. because, you know, there there obviously is the possibility that this could happen to another player. Um you know, an, uh, another player that isn't John ja Morant, by the way. And and mm-hmm. whatever happens in this Jaw situation, you mentioned him being the face of the league, the superstar, all that stuff. I think that will that will weigh into whatever considerations they're making. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the fact that this is the first instance I think we've seen that has become not not actually I shouldn't say that because there's you know there's obviously the Gilbert Arena situation. There's been past situations like this, but yeah. I think of a player of Jaws magnitude, um, him being so young, I think part of that is going to weigh into what they decide to do. Ultimately, him being the face of the league, Nike stopped, uh, you know, putting up the John Morant shoes on their website. There's obviously Mm -hmm. tons of money involved with this. So it's a fine line that they have to walk with this John Morant situation. And I, I, yeah, we'll see what happens. They, they said that they're not going to release what, the implications are for jaw until the end of the NBA finals. So we'll see on that front, obviously um, that gives us at least a couple of weeks until, you know, something happens and it could have huge implications for the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are like, it's, they are, they were the fun young team. Not so long ago. They, he, John Morant was drafted in 2018 and it's been two or three seasons of them rising up the ranks, becoming one of the more fun teams in the NBA Jaw winning most improved player of the award, even though he was the second overall pick, still ridiculous. But yeah, he won most improved player <laughs> award. Jaron Jackson Jr. won the defensive player of the year award. They have Desmond Bain, who's a sharpshooter. They become a really, really fun team 
mm-hmm. and throwing this wrench, massive wrench into all of it. Just, I, I'm not sure what the next step is for that franchise for what they do. We'll see it. It, it yeah, really all comes down to that. It all comes down to that, whatever, you know, kind of ruling that they have, whatever decision they decide to make the NBA. Um, yeah. Outside of John Morant, some other housekeeping, the Detroit Pistons, they found their new head coach. I didn't expect we'd be talking about Pistons basketball this early <laughs> in June. We usually wait until the NBA draft where they've selected a high lottery pick and maybe we talk about them, but they have their coach and I love it, Lauren. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Monty Williams was signed on for a six-year, $72 million contract, which would mean he makes $12 million, and which would also mean that he would be the highest-paid coach in the NBA. Now, the Mm -hmm. numbers haven't been completely accurate. We've got a bunch of different numbers. Sham Strania from The Athletic said he'd be making somewhere around $10 million, which would make him one of the most high-paid coaches in the NBA, not the most. Greg Popovich currently makes $11.5 million a year which is wild, by the way, but hey, get you money. Um, <laughs> Monty Williams, now Pistons head coach. After, for the last two weeks, you know, we heard rumors, we heard reports that Monty wasn't interested. He was going to wait it out. He was looking to hold and, and see what he could do. Obviously, uh, I think there was a report that came out that said if they had got Wemby, if they had got the first pick, Monty would have signed on, <laughs> uh, which I understand. I mean, yeah. Hey, I get it. I get it. I mean, I would too, Monty. Um, and I, I, I mean, look, either way, he is now the Pistons head coach and I absolutely mm. love it. Yeah. He is a culture culture setter. He is a guy who can, you know, build around this youthful team. I think he's the perfect hire and it doesn't matter to me that the, the number is at such a outrageous amount because one, I'm not pocket watching. I don't care. Get your money. And two, <laughs> uh, I think it was worth the paycheck to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's always like risky when you have a young group that you're continuing to build and develop. And, and it's, it's hard to go out and find a Willie green or or a Will Hardy. Like it's really hard to find those guys. And so if there is someone out there in a Monty Williams who does have this reputation for getting guys to buy in and building those relationships and, and getting, getting things out of young guys, with the exception of DeAndre Ayton, maybe. Um, I think that I think it was a good hire for for Detroit. And I think it's it's going to pay dividends somewhat quickly. And so I'm I'm very intrigued to see, you know, what he can do with a backcourt of, of Jaden Ivey and and Cade Cunningham, what that looks like. Um and even Jalen Duran and, and whoever they take in this next draft. I think he's gonna have a Cam lot of Whitmore. Tools. Sorry, go ahead. Cam Whitmore. It I think it will be Cam Whitmore too. I know you're a fan. Um, I saw you. I'm a tweet. big fan of Cam Whitmore. So I, I really think that they're gonna find themselves in a good position. Um, even with the money. They've got things to do with the money. So I, I like the tools that or the situation that he's walking into. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think it was was a pretty, pretty damn good hire for Detroit. Yeah, they have some extra future first round picks. They obviously have the young guys in, like you mentioned, in Ivy Durin and Duren. Why did I say that so weird? Cade uh, Cunningham and look, they have they have a lot of young guys that they can move forward with. They have some pieces that they could trade. I think they're a great team that could potentially move up or down in the NBA draft if they decide to. Uh, they obviously have Killian Hayes. There's some other interesting prospects on that team. I really like Isaiah Livers. The Pistons are in that same, you know, category 
as the Grizzlies were a few seasons ago, in my opinion. I, I mean, we're seeing the Magic and the Thunder do something similar too. I think those teams are are further along in their process of becoming, you know, more competent, more playoff ready, if you will, franchises. Uh, and I think the Pistons are along that path too. I really do. I, I I believe in that team, and I think Monty, as a guy who's a culture setter, as a guy who's going to get them to play good, get buy-in from a lot of these guys. Something that's really underrated with a rebuilding team is finding a way to get commitment from these players, these young players who have gotten used to losing, who have gotten (laughs) used to like mailing it in Mm -hmm. because you're going for high lottery picks. Getting a guy like Monty Williams changes the tone of that locker room. I think that's the type of – we talked about it before, Lauren, with coaching and how much coaching really has an impact. Mm -hmm. I think in these type of situations, coaching has a massive impact. Absolutely. We saw it with the Kings last season and the Kings this season. When a team has been in the mud for so long and you just need a new voice, you just need someone who's not going to not hold people accountable. Um, I think I think that's a huge aspect to it. And I think Monty's gonna do that for them. So that's that's my Pistons spiel. We've we've talked so much about Pistons in early June just now. That's that's a lot of Pistons basketball. We will end <laughs> it off with this. We're back on NBA Finals talk. Game two happens on Sunday, so you will hear from us after game two as well. The question I have for you, Lauren, is one, do we tie it up? Is it going to be tied after after game two? And two, are you confident or less confident in your pick? And I believe it was Nuggets and six before it the was start Nuggets of the and six. Mm-hmm. It was the same as me. Yeah. So are you less confident or more confident in that pick? And also, do you, do you change it now? Is it, you know, Nuggets and five? So answer those <laughs> questions. For um, first question, first part. Um, no, I do not think Miami ties it up. Uh, okay. But I am going to stick with, with Denver and six. I don't want to count out Miami tonight. I do think was one of those first games that you can't take a whole lot away from because yeah. especially since it went so as expected. Um, so I'm going to stick with, with uh, Denver and six. I think Miami has, has enough fight in them for sure. I agree with you. I agree. And I think we saw some good stuff in the second half there from them. I think they, they started to figure out some things that can make it a little bit more difficult on Denver. And Hey, if the shot making happens, which will, you know, I don't think they're going to go like, yes, they could go four games and be completely cold and get eliminated. <laughs> but I do think they'll have some good shooting games here and there, and that'll be enough for them to get a couple games. I'm, I'm staying confident in my Denver and six pick. Um, but I will say, I will say, I actually forgot what I was going to say. I'll bring it to you <laughs> on next podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you very much. It's, it's 1130 at night here. We're recapping game one of the NBA finals. It's been fun as always. It is going to be super entertaining to watch the rest of these NBA finals, the NBA draft, maybe the Raptors get a head coach the next time we talk to you guys, maybe hint, hint, who knows? Uh, so thank you very much from Lauren, from myself. Appreciate you guys for tapping in to the Objective Basketball Podcast, and we will see you later. Take care. Follow House at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.